We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. The unlikelies. Somebody said the unlikelies. Let's look at 1 Timothy 4 and 12. 1 Timothy 4 and 12. Let's see how the message puts this. It says, and don't let anyone put you down because you're young. Paul is telling Timothy. Uh, According to Bible history, Timothy was around 14 when he traveled with Paul the first time. Yeah, secondary school student. Must have been around SS1, SS2 in today's age. He was about 14. He was a young lad. A very young lad. Even the John Mark they fought over was a young lad. Young boys. So you understand why he says to Timothy to, to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 3, 15. NLT. King James says, for thou hast known, since thou was a youth, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. New King James. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So Timothy grew up on on scripture. And go back to 1 Timothy 4 and 12, where he now tells him, let no one despise you because you are young. And he says, but be an example to believers in word. Somebody say in word. In conduct. In love. In spirit. And lastly, in faith and purity. So in other words, if you are young and you are despised or dealt with only according to your age, there's a level of wisdom of God in Christ you need to come into. There's a level of wisdom you need to exhibit that when you speak, nobody will remember or reference your age. Did you hear what I said? There's a level of the sophos of God you carry in Christ that when you speak, nobody, if they reference it is out of mesmerization. But that the last thing that comes to someone is to look at you and to judge you according to your age, your physical age, and got nothing on spiritual maturity. So in this house, we place emphasis on teaching the gospel. Teaching the gospel. Because if Christ is formed in you, you have no deficit. And this is the age. See what Paul then tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, we're in 12, 13. See what he tells the young Timothy. He says, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Imagine telling a 17-year-old, who is pastoring a church as crazy as the Corinthians. Because at this point, he had, it was Timothy that Paul had to send to Corinth. Does that make sense? 1 Corinthians 10, 11, 12. Hair coverings, communion. Everybody prophesy at the same time. Women don't want to keep quiet. because All of it was happening in the Corinthian church at the time Timothy was there. That's why parallel, Paul tells Timothy... Of the Corinthian church. Not of all the churches universal. Tell you men to shut up. In the Corinthian church. There was issues. Not in the church universal. Because it it would have been controversial. For him to say he permits women to not speak. But then women were pastoring churches. And Aquila and Priscilla were teaching Apollos. 
and Lydia was there, and there was Dorcas, and there was people who were in the forefront of ministry along with Paul. It would have been very, very contradictory if that's what Paul was saying. But like I said to you in this house, you study Second Corinthians in the light of First and Second Timothy. You study First and Second Timothy in the light of First and Second Corinthians. These are the pastoral epistles that were dealing with the congregational epistles. Does that make sense? Letters to the churches, letters to pastors as concerning those churches. So he says, teach with all purity. Teach with doctrine. Give yourself to public reading of the scriptures because at that point, nobody should be able to despise your age or despise your youth. Timothy was really, do you understand, do you understand why Paul had to tell him that now? He was really young. Really young. But by, as you grow sound in doctrine, you deflect the attention away from your age. So if you're here and you're young and you feel like, oh, this is not for you. You're just here and just enjoying the finished work and just enjoying the fact that all your sins are paid for. Uh, you have a lot of growing up. Because it's, it's, doctrine now is, is, is supposed to be safe in your hand. John says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong. Right? He repeats that three times in his, in, in, in his letter. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. Because you have overcome the evil one. And because the Holy One lives in you. And just before you begin to think, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm young. I, I, you know, I have some growing up to do. You know, when I get to, to 30, I will start to answer. But here's the news I came for you with, with for you tonight. God specializes in using the unlikelies. So, unlikely I am. I mean, trawl through scripture. Show me one person that was picked because he was perfect. Abraham, have you read his CV? Father of faith, serial liar. He lied so much that he transmitted it into his DNA. Isaac came forth lying. The same family kind of lie. By the time Jacob arrived, he had to be named liar, supplanter. Jacob arrived loaded with deceit. Loaded. It was a family trait by that time. Sometimes people people preach ancestral wickedness from this. You have to break the altar. You have to smash it. Ancestral spirit. But God that chose Abraham didn't break the altar. So God didn't know that there was ancestral altar to break. It's you that knows because you... It's a level of wisdom of God that God doesn't understand in the, in the African way. Do you understand? African reality. God doesn't understand. It's the Jewish reality that you understand. Who was it that was used because it was perfect? So human qualification or qualification by human parameters have never been the criteria for God using anybody. Anybody. Ever. Never, ever been. Never, ever been the criteria for God using anybody. God specializes in using the unlikelies. That's why even Jesus himself came as an unlikely. The problem the Jews have with Jesus today is that he broke every mold of the expectation of the Messiah. That's the problem they have. The lingering problem they have is that he didn't come in a blaze of lightning and thunder and fire and says, all Romans die. They expected that because they were under Roman subjugation at the time. They expected that he would just come and whoop. Blazes of fire as the prophet said. And one carpenter gives birth. Nazareth. Of all places. And his brother's not with us. And his mother and sister's not here. Jesus. And he went to his own and his own received him not. John 1, 11. But to as many as received him, verse 12. To them he gave power. His own received him not. He came to his own, Jesus. And his own did not receive him. His own. Why? 
Somebody say unlikely. He didn't arrive like somebody that could be taken seriously. They're giving birth to kings in palaces. And you're being born inside the feeding trough of an animal. You see, nativity plays have confused you to believe that a manger is a room. No, a stable is a room. A manger is the feeding trough where they put the hay with water for the animals to eat. Manger is not the room. The room is a stable. In the stable, there is a manger. So imagine that the baby is dead. That's where they did the cot. So the cow is trying to eat and they are hiding the baby to this side so the cow can eat to that side. Because it's how the cow can eat and the face of the baby Jesus is on the menu. So they are surrounding the manger because it's the same hay that was used, you know. So surround the manger, making sure that they don't eat away the bed of the baby Jesus. Now imagine Jews coming in here that the king has been born. In a stable inside a manger where cows are eating. Imagine the sight when those 40 or so wise men. Not three. It doesn't say three wise men. Arrive in Bethlehem, not in the manger. Because the scripture says, if you ever bother to notice, and when they arrived the house where the toddler Jesus was, not the manger where the baby Jesus was. So into Bible history, it's taking them at least two years to do that journey from the east to Bethlehem. That's one. Two, if he was only a few days old, Herod would not have said, kill every child two years and under. They said, just kill every newborn baby. Kill every fresh baby that has just been born. One week old baby, wipe them out. But to avoid any probability, he said two years and under. Because some time had passed between when he was born and when that star appeared and when those guys showed up. But not in the manger, they were in the house. It was only for census that there was no room in the inn. It wasn't that Joseph could not afford a room. So imagine these guys arriving with their entourage in Bethlehem. Or they arrived in Jerusalem first. And went to the king, Herod. And said, we, we saw a king is born here. We saw the king's star in the east. We have followed the star. We have come to worship him. And Herod goes, king, born. And he calls, first of all, his wise men. And they corroborate that ideally the prophets had prophesied that a, a king will be born. And so he said, okay, you go and find that boy. Find the king. Worship him. When you find him, please come back to me. So I will also go and worship him. Because that king deserves to be worshipped. <laughs> and, and so they go off. Now imagine them arriving Bethlehem with their camels. And they're looking for, please, where, has a child been born recently? Two years around. And they now lead him to the house of Joseph. And they see this baby that they remember was born inside the feeding pan of the cows. And they say, this is the king. And all these guys fell down to worship him. Second Corinthians 4, 7. Somebody say unlikely. Second Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure. Somebody say we have this treasure. We have this treasure. In earthen vessels. In vessels. So that the excellency. So that of, the of the power. May be of God. The question here is not the power. The question here is the excellency of the power. In other words, what the power looks like. NLT. We have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves 
are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. Of a necessity, if you are carrying the light of God in Christ, it is bigger than you. Tons and eons bigger than you. No human being could ever be physically qualified enough to carry the fullness. Can you imagine carrying the fullness of the Godhead bodily inside this, your frail body? And Paul says it is like this. God chose us to not look like what we are carrying. So when you see us as we are, but beyond us see the power we are carrying, you cannot but attribute it to God. So the reason why you are designed the way you are designed, listen to me, the reason why you are designed with your frailty and with what you think is your excess and what you think is your weakness is so that the excellency of the power may be of God. There's how you can look that would distract from the excellency of the power going to God. There's how you can sound and your eloquence of speech and your finesse and people will just feel that it is because you went to a particular school that you sound the way you sound. There's how you can come across and because of your social pedigree and because of your exposure levels and because of how you dress when you talk, it will appear as though you have taken a lot of time to invest in tuning yourself up and glory and credit will come to you. But there is something you regard as an impediment that is a setup for the excellency of the power going to God. So tonight the challenge is for you to stare S-T-E-E-R. Stare into what is your quirk. Q-U-I-R-K. Stare into what is your failure. Stare into what is your impediment. Can you imagine that a few times that Moses opened up his mouth, imagine that he was trying to stammer before Pharaoh and what Pharaoh was hearing was the sound of thunder. Because God promised Moses, he said, I will make you a God to Pharaoh. So every time Moses stood, you that are looking for my side, all you will see is a guy says, let my people go. That's what you're seeing from a distance. What Pharaoh was hearing was the mighty sound of God's voice ringing in his ear, rattling his very being, telling him, you better let these guys go or I kill you. But you standing from a vantage point will just see a stupid boy, wannabe Jew, confused Egyptian, ex-prince that does not even know who his real mother or father is, trying to stammer and say, we have this treasure on earthen vessels that the excellency may be of God and not of us. Once you understand that, you free yourself and begin to maximize everything, your height, your size, your complexion, your color, your tone, your accent, your intonation, your appearance, your pedigree, your geographical location, your, 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 your ability to carry yourself, the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you appear. All of that is so that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of you. Because of a necessity, it cannot be of you. Judges chapter 7 and verse 1. Somebody say don't like these. Judges chapter 7 and verse 1. Nobody's a mistake. God is too deliberate. I've said, oh, listen to me. It doesn't matter how you were born. You had to be born. Is anybody hearing me? Yes. You had to be born. You know your father makes no difference. You don't know your father makes no difference. 
You were born because somebody raped your mother makes no difference. You don't even know who your mother is makes no difference. Your father was never there for you in all your life. He has never looked out for you. It makes no difference. You were born in a hospital makes no difference. You were born on a keke in the way makes you're born on an altar makes no difference. You had to be born. And you had to be born the way you were born as who you are so that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of yourself. If you were born somewhere else, you'll not be here right now. That's the truth. The trajectory of your life would have been different. If you got into the schools you wanted to get to, you'll not be here right now. You'll not be here right now. If you didn't get into the schools, you will not be here right now. Some of you, some of you accidentally found your way in Krutek. Some of you just took Unical as compensation price, consolation price, because the one you actually wanted did not work. And in all your schemings, it was God making sure that he retains the excellency of the power. In all your schemings, you have folks in Abuja, you have folks in London, you have folks in Canada, you have friends in US, you know that there are certain buttons you can press and you would not be where you are now. Yeah. Um, but we have this treasure in everything verses that the excellency may be of God and not of us. If you can take credit for growth in your life, you haven't encountered God yet. If you can take credit, if you're in charge of everything, everything in your life has gone exactly how you planned it. You are very poor. You are very depraved. You're very empty. You're very unfulfilled. If everything in your life has gone exactly how you wanted it to go, we have a major, we have a fundamental problem establishing if there's any excellency of God's power in your life. Somebody said the unlikely is. Judges chapter 7 and verse 1. You know the background of the story. Appears to a guy, the guy says, you know what, me, I'm the least in my father's house. My father's house is the least in my tribe. And my tribe is the least in Israel. I'm hiding from Philistines. You are coming to call me mighty man of valor. What's wrong with you? And this was Jesus he was chancing on. It was Jesus, the angel of the Lord. A theophany, that's what it's called in, in, in theology. A theophany was an appearance of God in, the, in, 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 a, in a superhuman form. And he says, how, how, how can you do that? Eventually, he starts to do business with what God said. And of his own natural power, the guy tries, because the guy is planning to go for a war. And before you can blink your eye, there's like over 40,000 soldiers that a weakling who said he cannot do suddenly was able to put together. Then Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and camped beside the well of Harod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of More in the valley. Now see verse 2, which is where I'm going. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. God sees a formidable army. By God's reckoning, according to the, the nomenclature of this text, by God's reckoning, this army by itself was strong enough 
to defeat the Midianites. Gideon had gone overboard and had put together an army that in number, in skills, in arms, in weapon, in strategy, was equipped to outwit the enemy. And God said, nah. You have robbed me of the excellency of the power. The people are too many. And this is for somebody here tonight who is going through something in your life and you have 12 options. The people are too many. You have a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, a plan E, a plan F. If this doesn't work, that could work. I mean, by my permutations, when I put this and that and that together with that and that and that, I should achieve what I've set out to achieve. And God says, no, there are too many. If it happens your way, then you will take the credit or somebody else will take the credit. And the excellency doesn't come to me because you will say my own hand saved me. So it turns out a lot of us are elongating the intervention of God in our lives affairs because we have too many options. I've said over and over, God doesn't do last resort. He does only resort. When all else has failed, try God. When all else fails, try Jesus. Why should you try everything else for it to fail before you go to Jesus? If everything else had failed, it means you didn't have sense in the first place to be going to everything else for everything else to fail. If everything else fails, try praise. Oh, religious stupidity. You you need to hear how, how stupid some things sound. And everything else fails, try praise. When prayer fails, try praise. When praise fails. Paul says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That the ex, you look at me, you look at what is going on for me. And you know this has to be God. You look at yourself as the storm rider that you are. Having ridden a storm that should have killed you. And in the morning, your neighbor wakes up and looks at you. And from, from, from regretting that you are alive, begin to bless God that you are alive. The shocker on their face is when they find out you have graduated. The shocker, you have served you like this. You have served, you have come back. Eh? You. That the excellency may be of God. And not of us. God calls you to tell you something that he will do in you. Something that he is working in you. You now get up and want to be the one that raises the army to do it. God says there are too many. I called you. Faithful is he who called you. First Thessalonians 5. Who will also do it. He didn't call you for you to do it. He will do it. Judges 7 and 2. God now begins to play into the weaknesses of the people. The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Let Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Verse 3. Now, therefore, proclaiming the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Gilead. Look at that. And 22,000 of the people return. 22,000 people 
were about to go and kill themselves in a war they had no idea about because they were afraid. So here's the picture. There are some people that have even lined up to help you that will destroy themselves in the process of trying to help you. Because your help is not required. They are not fit to help you. They are carrying weapons. Is anybody hearing me tonight? They are carrying shields. They are carrying swords. They are armed with fat bank accounts. They have checkbooks. They can write you an amount of money. They can meet a need. They can give you a house. They can give you a room. They can do something for you or so it appears. But at the, on the line, on the guarding, intention of it is wrong. They ain't got you. They're not for you. For whatever inexplicable reason, they answered your clarion call for, for distress, but they are not your people. And the moment a banner is lifted and they have the opportunity to not help, they're gone. The people that are in your life only because they get glory for being there to assist you. The people in your life that are offended when you don't place a demand on the fact that they can help you. There's some relatives. And when you call them and you're just saying, calling to greet them, they're like, ah, you don't have a problem. Because their bragging rights and their validation comes from knowing that they are above you. And I can always assist you when you're in trouble. 22,000 men. Immediately, they didn't think about it. They didn't pray about it. They didn't say, let's seek the face of the Lord. Let's know whether this is his will or not. Bring the linen effort. Let's inquire of the Lord. Bonner, offer a sacrifice. 22,000 men returned. And 10,000 remained out of 32,000. And you think that God is fine? Verse 4. But the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too. We have this treasure next earthen vessels. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Somebody said the unlikelies. People are still too many. Bring them down the water and I, this time around, I will test them for you there. By the time God finished his test, 9,700 men failed. Not even a tithe survived. 9,700 men were sent back. 300 men were left. The 300 men that were left were not given bazookas and RPGs and hand-propelled grenades and MiG-16 fighters and rocket launchers. These 300 men were given torchlights and clay pots only. Somebody say only. Now imagine that you have 40,000 men. You go out to fight across the battlefield. If you've watched like Game of Thrones or Last Kingdom, across the battlefield, you then see 300 men. Just one small straight line like this. And these 300 men, all they're carrying is torch, fire. You know that beacon and a clay pot. You first of all sit down. And then choose like maybe 12 of your armed men. You know what I mean? And route them. And these 300 men are not even like the sons of Issachar. That have understanding of the times. You know, they have maps. They have, you know, there's how you can see these 300 men surrounded by so much paper. You think that they are planning war strategy. And you'll be afraid. You'll be looking around, where, where are the others? These ones are planning something. No. These 300 men, like Mughals are carrying lights with touch and all they're doing is shouting. 
The sword of the Lord, the sword of Gideon. The sword of the Lord, the sword of Gideon. The sword of the Lord, the sword of Gideon. To the Greeks, foolishness. But to us, because Paul says in that scripture, 1 Corinthians, that the foolishness of God, if God decided to be foolish, he woke up today and said, I don't feel like being wise today. Let me play the fool a little bit. The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisest of the wisdoms of men. The foolishness of God. The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. So 300 men are there and shouting. Ganga, 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 hitting their thing. No weapons. None. No spear. No sword. No crossbow. Nothing. Just shout. And you think, oh, those 22,000 that went back. It's like, it's then they have sense. Oh. At least they had something they were holding. These other 9,700 that were sent back. Huh. They're lucky. Oh. 300 of us. Now they arm us. There was 5,000 men besides women and children that had to be fed. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he tells his disciples, feed them. They're like, even if we had 200 denarii, a denarii was a day's wage in that day. If we had 200 denarii, Philip said, we cannot feed these people. Hey, hear the next verse. Luke said, but Jesus in himself already knew in himself what he would do. So all of that was just a prelude. And sometimes we give up in the prelude. You throw in the towel in the prelude. It doesn't look like it's going to happen. But we have this treasure in unlikely vessels. I've learned to never ever lift myself up. Even in, even in how I appear. Even in how I dress. Do you know how beautiful it is to arrive at a place and they look at you? They're wearing jeans, boots, t-shirt. You're not a serious person. This treasure in fragile clay jars. Does the word clay jar sound familiar? That was what they hid the light in in Judges 7. Jars of clay. Because when they broke the jar and God caused his light to shine, they didn't see 300 men carrying torches. They saw lightnings of a celestial nature. They heard the thunderings of heaven. It was like those four lepers. If we go to the city, we'll perish. If we stay here, we'll perish. If we go to the enemy, we'll perish. But we have been in the city. From the city, they threw us out. We have been here long enough. We know this place. The only one place we have not tried is the enemy. Let's go there. That's what informed their decision. We came from the city. We know the city. The city knows us. We have been here where we are. We know this place. There's nothing for us here. But the city we came from, if we go back there, we'll die. Here that we know, if we stay here, we'll die. The only other place we're not explored is where the enemy is. And we'll still die. So let's go there and die. And Job understood it in his pain in 23 and 10. He says, for he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall comfort us. Go. I said, let's go there. And they went there. And they got there and saw an entire camp full of plunder and spoil. First of all, sat down. I love them. They took back what the canker worm had stolen. They took back what the palm of worm had. They ate to their field. Then they remembered. We can't finish this today. Hear what scripture says. It says that God amplified 
So here's what happened in the alternate reality of the enemy's camp. There was like 200,000 watts of sound in stacks of sobs and tops and mids driven by like 2,000 amplifiers or power to heaven's power circuit. And then omnidirectional boundary microphones were put on the feet of four lepers that have no limbs. Lepers don't have limbs. They don't have toes. And heaven puts boundary microphones directly transmitting to that master rig. Turns up the volume to the max. No compression, no limiter, no filter, no DSP, no raw power. And as these four guys are just literally what the enemy is hearing. Listen to me. Do not despise what is at work on your inside. You speak and you hear your voice. Please do not delude yourself to think the enemy is hearing your voice. You speak and like Faith said, my voice is shaky. The enemy doesn't hear your shaky voice. He hears the thunderings of the most high. When a son who understands who he is opens his mouth to declare the counsel of God. So you learn to downplay how you sound. I don't like my voice. Who cares? It's not a factor in the spirit. I don't like my accent. Well, fix it, but heaven ain't got nothing on your accent. Your sonship ain't got nothing to do with how you sound. When you come into the authority of who you are, you exert it with no apology because the excellency of the power is of God, not of us. You get to that point, you you become unhinged. There's nothing limiting you. Nothing. There's treasure in earthing vessels. And the guys come and they imagine four guys saying we got there, there was nobody. And imagine people that escaped were saying that. No, we heard the sound of 200,000 soldiers coming. Now you saw what you saw. But the enemy heard what they heard. So now it behoves you to just say what you need to say. And allow God to amplify it to whatever they must hear. It's not in physical volume. It's not in how much you shout. Your physical shouting doesn't carry any weight in the spirit. doesn't carry any weight. That you're disturbing your entire neighbors with your prayer time doesn't mean it carries any efficacy in the spirit. Most times it's just annoying. I mean, pastor, and I said so. It's not the noise. It's not the physical noise. It's the authority that you're operating in. Because you carry, God delighted to put Christ in you as you are. As you are like this, as you are. As you are. Not a measure of Christ. Not a cup of Christ. Not a glass of Christ. The full measure of Christ. Does somebody say the full measure? The full measure of Christ. Resident, domiciled inside you as you are. Including as messed up as you are. Life is going, dealing you a bad hand. Christ is in you. He's not living. That's why he gets the excellencies. Because you don't look like a person that can carry Christ. You don't look like a person that should be serious about their work with God. Even look, look at your dressing. You don't look like somewhere that Christ is in. Hey, that's the whole idea. Because the Christ that people look at you and think they see is an idol. It's a figment of human imagination. 
But then when he begins to speak through you, when he begins to display through you, begins to heal through you, begins to astound people through you, begins to discomfit people through you, begins to impress people through you, begins to flabbergast people through you, begins to overwhelm people through you. Then they go, well, this person speaks of a different spirit. And even when they don't know what that spirit is, Nebuchadnezzar will get up and bless the God of Daniel in your life. Isn't it interesting how when they saw God at work, they suddenly knew who to praise. Look at Queen Sheba in 1 Kings 10. When she saw, she lifted up her voice and blessed the God of Solomon. Nebuchadnezzar blessed the God of Daniel. Darius, the lion's den issue, came again and blessed the God of Daniel. Treasure and earthen vessels. Remember these guys were Hebrew boys? They were not royalty. Regular boys, peasants, eating water and vegetables. What you have now called Daniel fast. He was not fasting. He just chose his diet. I was free of charge. I'm on a Daniel fast. I wasn't fasting. He said, give us this kind of thing for 10 days. After 10 days, check us out. Others are eating from the king's table. Who is fresher? The eunuch checked and saw that they were fresher. So he kept them on it. How is that a fast? I don't want to eat the king's meat. I want vegetables. I want carrots. Give me carrots. It's just his dietary, dietary specification. There was no fasting. And king after king after king after king blessed the God of Daniel. It didn't look like it. And that's what God wants to do in your life. That's what the beauty of you receiving the fullness of the gospel does. It implants and expresses Christ in his fullness. It implants and expresses Christ in his fullness. You are a dynamo that nothing should stand in the way of. You give up too quickly. You cry too quickly. You moan too quickly. Uh, you cry you're too quick. A little sickness and you begin to think of abdicating your sonship. A little trouble. A little text message you received. A disturbing phone call and your entire day is messed up. Do you know who you are? A little disappointment. A little heartbreak. Your whole life comes to a, to a, a halt. You do your job. It's not straight anymore. You do make up the shades are two different colors. You sew. Your line is not straight. Your hemi cannot be right you make the hair, the hair goes zigzag. You relax somebody's hair and you burn a part of it. Just because life dealt with a poor hand. Oh, come on. You are carrying the Godhead inside of you. It's not a function of what happens around you. It's not a function. You are who you are in spite of what life throws at you. Except if you have not believed the gospel. We have this treasure. How does the message put that scripture? Second Corinthians 4 said, If you only look at us, you might well miss the brightness. We carry this precious message around in the unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. That's to prevent anyone from confusing God's incomparable power with us. Listen to me. Oh, there's a level of, I wish I was tall this way. That's the reason why you're wishing you are tall that way is the reason why you are not tall that way. I wish my boobs were slightly fuller. The reason why you're wishing is why your boobs are the size that they are. Yes. Deal with it. I wish my skin was slightly fairer. I would, I would be more. No, that's why your skin is not fair. So you will be more. Yes. But when it is more, the excellencies of God. Yes. Out of your skin. So everything that you thought you would have gloried in, check in your life critically. God himself removed from you. People that 
don't have any use for six pack. They are just straight and straight and like a ruler and they just have the packs. They don't go to the gym. They eat a bar at 1 a.m. Who knows what I am talking about? They eat anything, pork meat, do whatever, and they are just there. You have run marathon. You have done Obudu Mountain Race. You have run treadmill. You have gone to stadium three times a week. Who am I talking to? You have done insanity. You have done press-ups, pull-up, cowbells, dumbbells, wise bells, all the bells. And your pack remains one. It doesn't matter. The person that doesn't need it has eight packs. A ninth one is forming just around the navel. Nicely. Very ribbed. And you have fought the good fight of faith. To apprehend that for which you have been apprehended. It refused to let you apprehend it. And then one day you wake up and realize, hold up. I don't need packs in my destiny. Let he that has packs keep it. And let he that has packs know that what I have packless, he cannot have pack full. And that day you come into the fullness. You come into the fullness of who you are. Because what you struggle to acquire, you will struggle to sustain. So everything you would have gloried in as you are like this. God just looked at you in his sovereign love. In his mercy and his loving kindness. Took it away from you. Try as hard as you want. As long as God is interested in your matter. You cannot lay hold of what God has removed from you. So that the excellency may be of him. There's some weight you will never add in this life. There's some others you will never lose. There's some height you will never gain so that in the midst of what you think is a limitation, men cannot confuse God's incomparable power with you. They will not say you lifted it because you have six parts. They will not say you stood up there because you were tall. They won't say you were there because you finished school and you have a master's degree. But that is the excellency that comes from the wisdom of God in Christ resident in you that finds unlimited expression. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Unlikely vessels. Ordinary lives. Clay jars. Get comfortable in your state. Even if we tease you about it. Get comfortable in your state. Get comfortable in your size. Get comfortable in your skin. Get comfortable in your accent. Oh, by all means, add value to yourself. But God doesn't need that to perfect his glory and his power in your life. He doesn't. He doesn't. By all means, do whatever you want to add. But don't think that God is not using you until you do that. No. We have this treasure. Somebody say unlikely. Say unlikely. So if you feel like you're too qualified, disqualify you so that your only qualification is him. There's no, oh, you know, since I got born again, I've, I've, there's some self-righteousness that is destructive for ministry. Yes. I got born again, I've never slept with anybody, you know, I never did this, I never, that's not why God chose you, can you shut up? I've never smoked in my life, I've never been to a club, I've never, that is not why God chose you. Yes, made it clear, you did not choose me, I chose you. What he's doing with you is no different from what he's doing with somebody, do, do you know how many people Saul killed? Saul of Tarsus? Do you know how many thousands of believers he personally killed? He stood there holding the garments of the people that were stoning Stephen. As heaven opened up and Stephen said, unto you Lord I commit my spirit. Saw, saw, saw heaven. Yeah. 
he saw it receive the spirit of Stephen like the spirit of Jesus. He held the cloak. When he was going to Damascus, what was he going there to do? To go and kill Christians. And God took a hold of him and said, I'm the Lord God whom you persecute. Now it's time for you to follow me. God saw him killing and let him kill. So by the time he turned to the gospel, he says, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Because we had gotten somebody who understood. That's why he would say of himself, you know what? He appeared to the apostles and me, the least of them. And even one born out of due time. I was born after the phone had passed. That's what he was saying. You know, he didn't see Jesus physically. Ah, it was like ah, the phone had come and gone when they had given birth to me. I was born out of due time. I was not born in the time when the apostles were born. That's what he was saying. So when he says we have this treasured earthen vessels, we know what he's talking about. And that applies to you here, beloved of God. Encourage yourself on this journey. That as you apprehend Christ, it is him in you that matters. Not you. Not how you look. Not how you sound. Him in you. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in you. The hope of, not you. Somebody say, not me. You know how Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. Nevertheless, I live. He says, not yet, not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live after the flesh, I live by the faith of the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Somebody say Christ in me. Christ. Unlikely. Unlikely. Ordinary. Ordinary. Or Christ in me. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.